Hi everybody, this is Madhav here from the Remote Marketing Podcast. Um, today's episode is with Andrew Kaplan, um, you know, and we had a wonderful chat, you know, just talking about his journey into becoming, you know, a full-time mentor, you know, how it all started, um, you know, how does his, you know, mentoring relationships work and, yeah, just, you know, talk through his entire process about mentoring. Um, enjoy the episode. I haven't talked about this much publicly, but I know I'm a growth nerd. 90% of my day is working at the desk in the cloud. But when I'm not working in the cloud, I really like working with my hands. And so I build things around my house. I build dining tables and coffee tables and shelves. And uh, I have a very old home just outside of Boston in New England. And this is a very small room that really has no other purpose than an office. And it was really run down when we bought the house in 2016. And so when I started working remote full time because of the pandemic, I was like, man, I need to spruce it up. And so I actually did, this room was in bad shape. It was all beat up. The, you know, it's a hundred year, 115 years old. So it just had 115 wow. years worth of patches and stuff. And so I did all the wood paneling. I made the shelves. I bought the plumbing pipe and made, made this whole little contraption here. Uh, so I'm, I'm very flattered that you noticed and you seem to like it. And I've just got a few books. So I think, what are some of the ones that are on here? I just read The Minimalist Entrepreneur, which is really cool, which is um, written by the founder of Gumroad and talks about his journey into entrepreneurship and his views on things. And then a few others that I really like. Um, I've got some books on mindfulness, uh, which is important to me. There's different books on like meditation and mindfulness. And uh, I actually have the book uh, 11 Rings by Phil Jackson, which is kind of an intersection of mindfulness and leadership training and sports and uh, a few things like that. And then a few books on management. I think I've got uh, The Coaching Habit, which is one of my favorites. Oh, for I any love new, that. Yeah, 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 any yeah. new manager, any new leader. Um, I've got High Output Management. I, I got them all, man. Like, you know, I got all the dorky <laughs> business books and I try to mix in a few that are important to me around mindfulness and, and a few other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the coaching habit was like, in fact, it was it was like um, when I uh, when I basically kind of was transitioning from like a doer to kind of like a delegator, that was actually like the first book. I was like, I need to figure it out. And it's such a wonderful book, you know, like uh, it's a great recommendation. What an awesome book when you transition into management. I feel like most people transition to management they have no idea what they're doing. They make a million mistakes. Then eventually, after they get feedback from their team that people don't like working with them, then they read that book and they realize <laughs> how to empower and how to delegate and how to um, how to ask questions to enable people. And so that's really cool. You read it towards the beginning of your journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly the same thoughts there. Um, and actually connected with the, the author as well, like a really nice guy. Um, but, um, interesting. So, I mean, like, I'm actually, um, curious to hear about your journey, you know, and Andrew, you know, like you've, you know, you've obviously done a lot of, you know, advising, you know, you've been a mentor, you know, to, you know, perhaps a couple of people, you know, you, you coach teams, you know, that's, that's, that's your full-time thing. Right. So why don't we just, just walk me through the time when, you know, like when you actually did get your first mentorship assignment, like where, where is that, where is that time? Kind of happened by accident for me. Um, I never thought that I would be doing this full time. I could have never predicted it. Um, but I feel like it's kind of in my DNA. You know, my mom is a professional coach. 
She's been a professional slash executive coach my whole life. Uh, and she's always worked from home. And so I feel like coaching and mentoring and empowering people and helping them problem solve in their careers is, is built into my DNA because I've been hearing her do it in her, you know, in her office room, two doors down from my bedroom since, since I was born. And so for me, I just didn't know that I would get to this place as well. And I think it kind of happened like when, when I worked at Wistia, uh, I started to share a little bit about some of the things that our growth team was doing publicly. You know, Wistia had a fairly big reach and, you know, they were, um, they would share their stories and their failures more so than other companies. There was a big appetite for that. It's a huge part of the brand. And so I started sharing things, um, sometimes in conferences and in talks and other times I might write something for their blog. And through that, you know, and I shared experiments that we did that didn't work out and things like that. And through that, other people that worked in growth reached out and they'd say, hey, I read what you wrote or I read a talk or something like that. Can I pick your brain? Can I take you out to coffee? I, I'd love to learn from you because I'm on the same path. I just am a few steps earlier. And I was so flattered because who was I? I was just a normal guy making a million mistakes like anybody else in their career. I just happened to work at Wistia that had a big reach and I was able to reach other people. Um, and so I always said yes, because I was flattered and it felt good. And what I realized is that a lot of the questions that people had were challenges that I'd already faced and problems that I've already solved. And I shared my missteps in hopes of helping them avoid making the same mistakes and accelerating their journey. And people said, thank you afterwards. And they wrote me notes saying, hey, that was so helpful. It was really empowering. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Could we do it again? And I was like, yeah. Sure. You want to do that again? I was just telling you my life and my thoughts and helping you. I loved it. And I couldn't believe that people wanted to do more of it. And so a few years ago, I started working with my own professional coach, trying to figure out where I wanted my career to go. And she encouraged me to keep following where my energy was. And I was getting a ton of energy from these types of conversations. And she was like, well, what if you just charged? What if you just charged? What if you called it coaching or mentorship or whatever you're comfortable calling it? And what if you charge people and had a little bit more accountability? You could add a little bit more process and frameworks on your side and you might have your next career. And I was like, man, I can't charge. Nobody's going to pay me for that. And so I tried it once and I got my first client and they started paying me and I felt all this imposter syndrome stuff and one led to another. And, and here I am, man, but I never thought that this is what I'd be doing, especially in the growth space, but it happens somewhat organically and it just feels right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I think in our industry, um, there, there was like this, this, this motto of uh, this, this growth program that I basically came across, which is basically that, um, you know, the, you know, the vast majority of the experience in our SaaS marketing, especially, is kind of in the heads of few people, right? And that knowledge needs to be unlocked. Otherwise, there's just because there is a massive, you know, talent supply shortage, you know, especially in like. SaaS marketing leadership and you know it's it's always there and to be honest like I think the experiences that you shared I was actually on the other side so like um uh, you know last uh, last year was basically like I was like you know kind of going through like some marketing leadership challenges and one of the people on the podcast uh his name was Sanchar Shaheen he was basically like the former VP of marketing at, at Hotjar and Typeform. And I was like, um, you know, can you can you help out? And then I was like, you know what? Um, I think the best way to kind of work with like people who are like maybe a couple of years ahead of you is to just to say that, hey, you know, I'm I'm also willing to pay for your time. And you know, and and you know, they'd have a commitment 
you know, uh, and then, you know, we can make progress. So it totally makes sense. It adds accountability on both sides. Totally. It does. And what I found is, um, for me, when I was working for people for free or when I first started and I was charging, you know, a very small amount of money, I found I was less successful because, well, one, you get lower quality clients, right? If you're not charging much or it's free, people reschedule, yeah. they don't value your time. They come unprepared. You say, Hey, what, what do you want to work on today? And they say, I don't really know. And then <laughs> when you charge a little bit more because they have more commitment, there's, you know, they have more skin in the game. They come prepared. They very rarely reschedule when they do. There's a real reason and, and there's apologies and it's all good stuff there. But I noticed that because people were paying, um, they came way more prepared. They took our sessions way more seriously. They implemented the stuff that we talked about in between sessions. And because of that, they were more successful. And so it's funny how sometimes even just adding that accountability by charging and, and figuring out the right price increases the success that someone can have working with you, which to me was like a mind-blowing learning. I had no idea that that would be the case. So it makes sense when you're starting to find your first mentor that on the flip side, you're going to get better quality mentorship. If you're paying the person, they'll be incentivized to really show up and take it seriously. Uh, you know, it works both ways. Yeah, makes sense. But like a question here is that, um, you know, like, for example, when, you know, when you have the experiences that the other person has, that's uh, is looking for, right? That's, I think that's a separate thing, but being a mentor or a coach or an advisor, there's, there's like a whole different skill set, you know, just kind of come in with like, you know, uh, the, um, like with the mindset, you know, that, hey, you know, you want to unlock, you know, their thinking and questions and everything. I think, so like, do you think like when, like, was it like a, you know, after like speaking with a lot of clients, you kind of refined your mentorship um, skills, you know, if I may say that, or, you know, was it like, did it just, you know, come naturally for you that, hey, you know, like you just, yeah, it just, it just flowed naturally. It didn't flow naturally, but I think it took me a lot of learning to find the right authentic style for me. You know, like before we started recording, you and I were chatting, or no, we were recording when we were chatting about the coaching habit, right? And I feel like the first time when I read that book, I had a list of questions and I would literally go into my one-on-ones and I'd be like glancing at my questions, <laughs> thinking about what question I was going to ask next. And then after you get a few reps at it, you just realize you can just listen, be really present in the moment. And the right question will come to you if you're thinking about what questions can I ask to help this person or unblock them or unlock them or whatever they need to be successful. And that's what I've learned about coaching and mentorship. So it it's not that it feels natural now. I feel like the process for me has been let me learn about all these different ways that I can help people through asking questions, through changing their perspective, through challenging, through encouraging, through rewarding, whatever it is, there's all these different tools that you have. And then finding the right one in the moment is a little bit of the, the art to it. Um, and so I feel like when I first was learning, it felt very robotic and unnatural and forced and imposter and all that kind of stuff. And over time, just through repetition, it's it's helped me to find um, the right thing for the right person in the right moment. You know, it's felt a little bit more flow state, which is good, but it just takes a while to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I totally understand that. So, I mean, I, like what is your, like, what are your like, you know, favorite questions when you ask in your mentorship sessions? Like let's, let's talk about your top three. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, there's this, 
questions that are you know very you know based on market and business and all of that but are there any questions that you really love to ask them just to kind of unlock certain ideas yeah i mean at the highest level i want the person who i'm coaching or mentoring to own the outcomes i want mm-hmm. oftentimes they come in thinking hey, I'm encountering all these challenges. This person's going to help me figure out where to focus and how to find the answer. But I actually think that that, I have learned that to be backwards, where if it's me pushing, the person is never going to get to the place that I'm pushing them to because they may not agree that it's the right place to get to. So my favorite way to kick things off anytime I'm working with somebody new is what does success look like here? If this engagement goes perfectly, not 10 out of 10, we're talking 12 out of 10, we're talking life-changing outcome. What does that look like for you? And can you describe it to me? And that's typically how I'll start things. I'll I'll usually send an intake form before I really get going with somebody. And that's the main thing that I'm keyed in on is what do they want to become? And then where are they at right now? And what's stopping them? You know, what do they see as the blockers that are in place of getting from the person they are today to this future state of themselves that they're really excited to get to? And then we can start to pick it apart and diagnose what they need. So that's where I really like to start. I start every session by asking, hey, if today goes perfectly, what do we walk away from this session accomplishing? Um, and then I, I kind of use that to get into it, right? And then depending if they're encountering certain business challenges, we might dig into that. If they're encountering certain interpersonal challenges, we might dig into that. Uh, influence challenges, communication challenges, whatever it may be, we can kind of dig in and use that as our jump off point. But to me, it starts very similar to a marketing or growth project. What does success look like? Can you describe it? And what's in the way, you know, and where are you at today? And what's in the way of you, of you getting there on your own? Because if, if you knew what that was, we probably wouldn't be talking and you would just be on to the next challenge. So I like to start at the highest level. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. And I think that question is often kind of known as the, the miracle question, right? Like where you're basically, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, if everything went right, like what would that look like? what the ideal are and I love that question like you know it's absolutely the best way because I think like in general like it it's always good when you can define you know where you want to be and where you are at um once you've kind of defined that it's like 50 percent problem solved and then it's just the steps in between which you need to kind of figure out right and what I've learned is that not everyone can describe what success looks like that in itself sometimes for someone who's thinking about their career or thinking about the problems that they're encountering is hard because you you don't have the benefit of perspective in space. And so all you know is, hey, I'm heads down. I'm working on this thing. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to go faster. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Help me. I'm, you know, my hands are up (laughs) in the air, so to speak. And then when you really get into it, you have to ask a bunch of questions to tease out, well, what do you really care about? What does success really look like? Is it a, is it a feeling? Are you trying to reduce stress? Are you trying to get a promotion? Are you trying to get a raise? Are you trying to move this KPI and even just being able to tease that out in itself is difficult. And so anyways, I I always start with that stuff. And if we can get a clear idea about where we're going, it's just a matter of figuring out the roadmap and the blockers along the way, much, much like the way I think about growth projects, right? The process (laughs) is actually shockingly similar. Uh, Just there's, you know, a whole lot of extra complexity when you're working with people versus data sets and things like that. Yeah. 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 And you know, like the, 
the challenges that you just described, it just seems like it's pretty common. Like <laughs> those were the exact same challenges that even I faced last year. And I was like, uh, I was coming to my coach and be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, there's just so much what to prioritize on. And, you know, like, uh, should we be moving fast? Should we be moving budgets here? So I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, that everybody's kind of falling through. But I guess like, do you not feel that, um, you know, like, yes, there's an outcome and yes, there's a starting point. And then, you know, you, you help them figure out those steps and then the constraints, let's say, disappear. Will there ever be a time, you know, when you're working with a coaching engagement where there's just no more constraints to solve and that's it, that the project is over? Or is that like, the, does every relationship conclude to that? Every, every relationship eventually concludes, but I don't know if it necessarily concludes where there's no more constraints and the person is running forward <laughs> you know it's not yeah we're not in like the the stock market equivalent of a bull run where it's just going up and to the right from there um but most folks that i work with i'll work with for around four months uh, a couple times a month depending how fast they want to go and and uh you know the things that are important to them schedule wise and typically they're coming to me to focus on one or two challenges either they're in a new role and they're just feeling a little bit lost and looking for some direction because they don't have anyone to to help, you know, internally, they're the most senior person on their, in their capability, and they're looking for someone external, or it might be someone who's been in a role for a long time, and just feeling stuck. And mm -hmm. they've tried different things to get them unstuck, but they're still feeling a little bit stuck, and they're looking for some help. And so for me, I specialize in working, or I only work with people that are in cross-functional growth roles and, and, and marketing roles, because that's my background. And that way, what I can do is a mix of professional coaching, but also really personalized to the challenges that people that are in those roles are facing. And so naturally they'll ask me a few, you know, if they're focused on moving a KPI or problem solving, we might get into like hiring plans and maybe even some like frameworks to problem solve, to move different KPIs and different user experience challenges. And so we can kind of dance in and out of what do you need to advance your career and how does some of the tactical things that you're working on, you know, relate to that. And so usually we'll work through a few challenges or we'll plan out a version of their future or vision of their future, but it's usually a few months that we'll work on. They'll achieve a new baseline and then they'll kind of graduate out from ongoing coaching with me. And they might come back and do a once a quarter session or tune up or something like that, just to kind of feel like they're continuing to move forward and learn new skills. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like if I had like a, I don't know, like a plus one, plus one on that, like totally, because you know, like when I'm kind of thinking, like I, for me, it was also like that, you know, that, you know, once I kind of graduated out of my like mentorship or coaching, you know, if, if we may say that, then it was like, you know, when you're kind of thinking through future challenges, you start kind of thinking, oh, you know, like how would my coach react to that? And then you kind of, you know, try to like, um, almost like you can, you can picture their voice in your head <laughs> asking you a question. And that, that in itself is like, for someone who provides mentorship and coaching, that's like the biggest compliment you could get. If somebody yeah. says, hey, I was stuck on this, you know, send, you, send me a quick note. Hey, I was stuck on this thing and I could hear your voice in my head asking me this question. That's the <laughs> best, man. That's cool that you've experienced that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I think that makes sense. So like, just kind of like stepping back a little bit and just kind of like, let's kind of think high level in a way that like, what are kind of like some of the biggest challenges that kind of come to you you know, by marketers or growth teams on like a very high level, like what are like common challenges that you see um, coming from growth teams and marketers? 
Yeah. So as I kind of mentioned, um, the two biggest buckets that I see are I'm starting a new role and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where to begin. And I have been a really senior IC before, but now I'm in a leadership role for the first time. And I don't know what I don't know, but I'm feeling like I'm in the deep end and I'm looking for a, you know, a life raft. So that's like a really common one for people that I work with. And it's not always so negative, right? I'm kind of saying the painful version of it, but the yeah. other version is I'm starting a new role and I want to crush it. And I'm looking for help to get the highest level of performance and output. And I'm not always sure what that is. Can you help me? And so that's kind okay. of one bucket that I see a lot. And then the other one is, is exactly what I mentioned before, which is, hey, I've been in this role for a while. I'm trying to level up, help me. And sometimes that happens because the company grows and all of a sudden what used to be, you know, head of growth or head of marketing at a 30 person company is way different than when it becomes a 200 person company. And Social. if you're, yeah, and yeah. if you're at one of the lucky startups that can happen in a year. And so, you know, rapid growth for the company, rapid growth for everybody in, uh, you know, in a different, in a position, especially a leadership position. And those are the people that I'll kind of problem solve with. And so some of the specific challenges that they might face are I'm overwhelmed and I can't figure out what to work on. I have no idea how to structure my team because we're growing so fast and I can't, I can't picture what the future looks like. Help me work through that. And then another one might be I'm having a hard time having the influence that I want to have internally. I'm either not getting the resources or I'm not getting buy-in on my approach or I'm getting a ton of pushback or whatever it is. And I need to change the way that I'm communicating to succeed at this level. And those are some of the common ones that I'll see um, across marketers and growth folks. Interesting. Yeah. And it's uh, very uh, relatable. Uh, you know, if I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let me kind of flip that question around now to you in a way that, um, you know, like, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's asked you that, but like, what? what's in it for you like of course you know the money that's great like i think that's and, and also kind of like the um you know of course you know if you can get to a place where the person is able to you know operate and like think you know through your voice you know uh, how to kind of tackle constraints that's an amazing beautiful goal to have right like but what do you learn as a mentor like even like let's go before the paid opportunities you know when you were kind of consulting people you know for a small fee or free um, what, what, what's in it for you? Like what, what is, what has been your observation so far on that? It's a few things in it for me. One, I love it. Like I truly do. I would do it for free. Uh, I am blessed that I get to make money doing what I enjoy doing. But as I said, I started doing this without ever realizing it could be a career. And I do it because it feels good to help. It gives me energy. It gives me fulfillment. It gives me purpose. And that to me is really fulfilling. So I do it for that. That is my, my why. That is the number one thing. But <clears throat> now that I work for myself, I get to see patterns. You know, when I work across lots of different people and, you know, even though the roles are relatively similar at lots of different companies and size companies and industries and niches and things like that, that pattern recognition is super valuable. One, it helps me to problem solve with the next person. And every time I work through a new challenge with someone, I get a rep at it, right? It's a new muscle that I get to build, which makes me more valuable, um, which makes it more enjoyable, which helps me to continue doing what I love to do. And then on the other side of things, I make um, digital products as well. And so as I'm going through these sessions and I'm learning and I'm helping people problem solve, I'm also listening and thinking about 
hey, what could I do to solve this at scale? Because if I'm encountering this problem with four people over the, you know, over six weeks, I know that there's hundreds or thousands of other people having the same exact challenge that I'm not working with. I wonder if there's something I could do to reach and impact more people. And so that's, I don't make a ton of money through my digital products, but I have two digital products, which are basically related to helping people when they start new roles. I've got a digital course. And then I've also got basically like a workbook so that you can put together your own onboarding plan. If you're starting as a head of growth at a, you know, at a A or B stage startup. And those came from direct conversations that I had from people that were in my coaching practice. So I get a lot out of it. I'm constantly, I feel like I learn just as much as I give. And that's just kind of all part of the process for me. Super interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, and I can totally get that, you know, I mean, it's just like, I'm sure, you know, you're being exposed to, you know, a lot of different um, you know, facets of the business from a very different point of view. And of course, you know, you understand those challenges and, you know, like you just explained before, right? Like a lot of the challenges, you know, quite common sometimes, you know, like, um, and so it's, it's good to fill them into buckets and kind of create, uh, you know, these digital products. Um, was So like, was the need for a digital product, like, I'm guessing, you know, you started out mentoring, you know, you start doing these one-on-one coaching sessions and everything, but like, when did you feel that, you know, you're like, you actually need a digital product? There's, I think there's two, like, for example, like it totally makes sense. You know, when you know that there's a lot of, you know, um, qu- similar questions coming and so you create a digital product, right? Was that just, you know, it was just like a problem solution kind of thing, or was it also like, um, well, you know, there's just a lot of people um, that you had to turn down and, you know, that triggered you to create these digital products. The, I, I guess, like, the question here is that how did the digital products fit into your mentoring strategy or, or your coaching business, if I may say that? It happened by accident. I wish I could say it was <clears throat> completely thought out and, like, super strategic. But what happened was when... I started my coaching practice when I was still working full-time as the head of growth at my last startup and was doing it, you know, a few hours a week, you know, two hours a week, basically. And I had a few clients that I was kind of working with and I knew that there was something there and I knew my future was to, to do more of this. I didn't know if it would be a full-time business or what, but I was following my, my energy and my passion. It was leading me in this direction. And so from some of the conversations I was having, I thought, why don't I turn this into a blog post? I've encountered a few of these challenges myself. I'm seeing lots of other people that I'm, that I'm coaching through the same challenges. There's something interesting here. Why don't I write it? It'll be good for my personal brand. It'll be fun for me to, to kind of get all my thoughts out anyways, and maybe it'll help somebody. And so I wrote this post. I published it on Medium uh, sometime in early 2020. It's called, You Were Just Hired as the Head of Growth. Now what? And it basically is detailed- yeah. Sorry, it's just random, but I've read that post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's amazing. <laughs> so I wrote this post. I clicked publish. You know, I'm just a normal guy. I'm, you know, I have a very a relatively small amount of connections and I have, you know, a relatively small circle. And the post kind of blew up. You know, it got, it got syndicated on growth hackers and ended up getting tens of thousands of views within a relatively small time. And I was like, shoot, that's, that's amazing. You know, like what an incredible feeling to feel like you can share something that's basically just your thoughts that you organized into this article. And all of a sudden, tens of thousands of people are, are reading it and finding value from it. It was ranking really well in Google. And I was totally blown away. And so I was like, well, I should do something with this, right? I've worked in marketing for eight years before I got into growth. I know I should capitalize on this. 
And so I made a download, a free downloadable version of the, of the article. And I just made a quick landing page, no content on the landing page other than like, click here to download the PDF. I literally saved the article as this really ugly PDF. I did it in Google Sheets. It couldn't have been worse, frankly. <laughs> and um, thousands of people have downloaded it. And I was like, all right, there's something here. What if I made the download better? What if I made it into something that was truly premium that I would pay for that would give me extra value in the world? And so I did. And that's what led me to the digital product um, space. And then I learned that that could be a part of my future as well. And so I have constantly been listening for, you know, what patterns can I recognize? Can I turn that into content, whether it's social content for, for LinkedIn or for Twitter or whatever, or future digital product content that I can monetize? Um, but I kind of fell into it. I just wrote something that seemed to resonate with the space and one thing led to another. Interesting. Yeah. And that's interesting. You know, you, I mean, uh, because I've, I've actually read that article. I don't know how, like, uh, might've been through your LinkedIn or something. And it's just, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it's interesting how, how that kind of, uh, came up. So I guess like, um, the question after that is, um, you know, once you kind of created, you know, uh, you've been coaching, you know, you've, you, you start building digital products, um, and of course, you know, there was, you know, because of all of your experiences, you know, working with all of these companies, uh, you know, you had, uh, you know, a lot of inbound, you know, uh, requests coming in that, hey, you know, we're a small startup, we need help, hey, you know, we're, a, um, you know, like all sorts of challenges coming in, right? But I think to move from like doing this part time to like doing it full time, um, you know, it might have been, you know, a pretty, like, of course, you know, you said, uh, you know, that's where your energy went, but it was still a big decision, nevertheless. So like, how did you kind of scale that? Like, how did you scale, um, you know, like, did you just like start saying yes to more people or was there kind of like a strategy behind it? I think one strategy I definitely know is that um, I think you started posting on LinkedIn more and like, to be honest, every post is just, uh, is great. But like, I'm just curious about your thoughts there. So I was working with my professional coach <clears throat> and she kept asking me, when do you think you'll be ready to go full-time? Because I had told her, wow. I think that this is my future. Mm -hmm. I think I want to work for myself. You know, I told you my mom's a professional coach. My dad is, uh, he owns his own accounting practice. Both my parents have worked for themselves for longer than they've been my parents. And so I knew that I wanted to do this eventually in my career. I knew it since I was 20, you know, my first job when I was 22, just fresh out of college. I just didn't know when and I didn't know what. So I'm working with my coach and she kept asking me, how will you know? She, she would ask, she would talk about good questions. How will you know when you're ready? And I, I didn't really know how to answer. I kept saying, well, if I get more clients or I can make more money. And she'd say, well, how much money? How much money will you need to feel like? How many clients will you need? How much interest will you need? And the truth is I didn't really have clarity. You know, I kept changing the targets because I was scared. And I have, uh, today I have a 15 month old son. And so he was very young. He was born uh, November, 2020. And so it was, uh, he was about six months old. I was working a lot, even though I was working at home, I didn't have a ton of flexibility. And I just decided I was going to take a leap and create a different life for my family. You know, growing up, my, my parents were around. If I had a soccer practice, they could reshuffle their schedule and they would make it. And I wanted to create a life where that would be possible in my family as well. And so I decided, uh, when was it? L uh, late May of last year of 2021, that it was time. And so you're right, in advance of that, uh, probably for about four months in advance of that, I started posting more regularly on LinkedIn. 
through that, I start, you know, and I, I finally clicked publish on my delivering value.co website. And through that, I started to get a little bit of inbound interest, but it wasn't really enough to make the full-time leap. But I think the challenge that I face is one that many solopreneurs or founders face, which is I'm working full-time. And because of that, I can't dedicate more time to my business. And because I can't dedicate more time to my business, I don't really know how far I can take it. And so you end up in this like risk chasm, so to speak, where you kind of yeah. have to just make a leap. Uh, and so I did. I just made the leap knowing that the market was really hot. And if it didn't work out, I could always jump back and probably jump back into a full-time role and, and do that without, um, you know, without wasting a ton of time or a ton of money. And fortunately, I've been in a position where I haven't needed to look back and it's, it's I don't want to say it's smooth sailing because it's been a ton of work, but I have been incredibly fortunate that it has worked out thus far. That's amazing. And you, um, and this is a bit of a personal question, feel free to answer it or not, but you, are you like looking back, do you feel like this was like a right decision that you made and you're, you know, like, was it, was it kind of a step in the right direction for you? I feel like I'm right where I was meant to be. I truly do. Um, I haven't, I haven't had the Sunday scaries in six months. I wake <laughs> up every morning feeling grateful to get to do what I get to do. And the truth is I, I'm fortunate in that I can work with people that I enjoy working with on problems that I find interesting. If, and when I encounter people that I, that I don't feel like I want to spend my days working with, I find a polite way to tell them, thank you, but no, thank you. And that's a pretty amazing place to be, to make money, doing what you love to do with people that you're fortunate to spend time with. And um, I've got the flexibility to spend more time with my family. And for right now, this is, this is really great. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm super happy for you. And it's, yeah, it is a pretty amazing, uh, well, because I know the, I know the value of like having a mentor who's like a couple of years ahead of you, like someone actually gave me, um, the, I mean, I was kind of also thinking about it myself that, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, if you're, let's say, you know, an early stage marketer, right. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to, let's say, be mentored by like Asana's head of marketing because the, you know, it won't be relatable in any way, but if, you know, the best mentors really just, you know, who's a couple of years ahead of you, uh, because then the lessons are relatable and you can kind of like, you know, do the math and it's just incredibly powerful and super helpful. And just, you know, uh, like I've, I've always been that kind of person. Like I've, I've always, you know, I just kept thanking my mentors. I'm like, I'm so grateful for this call. So I mean, it totally makes sense. It can be a very fulfilling um, journey. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, you've been uh, in this, you know, you're going to complete a year, uh, you know, being like a full-time advisor um, very soon. And um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, you've, you've done this in the past as well. So if you could look back in time, right, and just think about, you know, if there are, you know, let's say marketers who are, let's say, you know, they get mentorship opportunities, what would be, you know, like your top three lessons there? Like the things that you would, you know, go back in time and tell yourself that, hey, you know, like this is what I would do now than, than what I did earlier. Um, and and I think a follow-up to that would be that, do you think everyone has what it takes to be a mentor or is it something that um, that just, you know, it has to come naturally or like, what are your thoughts there? So it's a two-part question. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I think in terms of the advice that I would give myself or just somebody else who's a little bit earlier on thinking about working with a mentor, the three things that I would share is 
you probably are encountering opportunities to find mentorship weekly and not and to look for them and not to waste them. And that's like something that to me, I have regret over because earlier in my career, it's fortunate to work at HubSpot, it's fortunate to work at Wistia. And through those places, both are, are pretty recognizable marketing brands. I got introduced to a ton of people that I was really impressed and lucky and fortunate to meet in retrospect. And most of the time, I just introduced myself and I was nervous and I tried not to say anything embarrassing, right? And mm -hmm. they're just people that work in marketing and in tech. And some of them maybe have been fortunate enough to do presentations that and, and to share learnings and things in a way that have them, you know, develop their own personal brands. But to me, I thought that they were larger in life. And so I always introduced myself and then basically ran away before I said something stupid. And in retrospect, those people, if I could have leveraged their knowledge and advice and just even the introductions that they know who I am, could have become mentors for me, but I didn't know that I could have asked them. So I think one is if you're in a role, you know, you, you certainly could seek out, a, you know, a coach or a mentor like myself that you could pay for, but probably you're encountering people that could be, you know, potential mentors for you on a weekly or monthly basis. So to keep your eyes out for them, that's one thing that I would, if I could go back in time, I would do a little bit differently. Another is to be specific. So I think one of the challenges that I faced with my first mentor and my first job, I was 20, you know, in my early 20s, they had a mentor program at the ad agency I was working with. And I got paired with someone who's really senior, this super impressive guy. And I never knew what to ask him, right? He'd say, well, what's going on? And I'd say, well, nothing really, or well, I had a busy week. And he'd say, well, what challenges are you facing? I'd say, well, nothing out of the normal. I didn't know. And in retrospect, if I could have just been specific and vulnerable with him and just really shared what was going on, because I always felt like, well, my problems are so stupid. You know, they're so nuanced to me, or it's, it's probably just me being stupid or overreaction or whatever it is. And in retrospect, that's the best stuff to work through with a mentor. Something that's really specific, it's personalized to your situation to get outside feedback and guidance and problem solving. That's the best stuff. Um, so I didn't know, but to be specific would be another one. And then I think the third is kind of going off of your point to, to find the right mentor for, to find the right like product market fit as a mentor to mentee, to find that yeah. right relationship there. And so I think it's natural to go find the biggest, baddest mentor that you possibly could get access to. And maybe for some people, that's an effective approach, but I think it's more effective to find someone who, to your point, is just a few steps ahead, not 20 steps ahead, but like two or three. And then that way they can still remember and relate to the challenges that you're going through and maybe share some personal experiences if that's helpful to you as well. Um, but they'll be able to help you problem solve a little bit, a little bit differently than someone who's just so far ahead. Uh, so those would be the three things that I would think about uh, advice to my former self or to other folks thinking about getting a mentor. Wonderful. I think I'd add... I forget that. What was the second part of the question? It was a two-parter. It was a good one. Oh, yeah. yeah. The second part is just uh, kind of like, you know, on the other side, do you think, you know, there's, there's a, I think the landscape of LinkedIn has changed things in a way that everybody is a coach now. I mean, sorry, not like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing this up a little bit, but like, you know, everybody's sharing stuff and um, everybody's an expert now. Yeah. 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 Everyone is an, an advisor, an expert. Right. So I guess like is mentorship, like is mentorship a skill that you develop? I mean, is that something that comes naturally or is that like a natural progression of any, you know, senior leadership marketer that, you know, eventually 
become advisors it's a it's a i mean there's no right or wrong answer here it's just it's a perspective that's what i'm curious to hear it's a great question i don't know the answer is the honest truth i think for some <clears throat> for some people that become experts in their craft and leaders it's a natural part of the progression is to coach other people up is to teach them the process that you use to get there and to help them problem solve and avoid missteps, right? Some people that's built into their DNA. And I'm sure anyone that's listening to your podcast can probably think of somebody in their career that they've, or in their life that they've encountered that has done that, that they look up to, but it's not a given. And so I think it depends on the person and their, their baseline, you know, the thing that gives them energy and just sort of who they are as a person and what they get fulfillment from. For me, it is built into my DNA. But it's not built into everyone's, which is why some people are better than it, you know, better at it than others. Um, so that's my that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. You know, I think for some, like I've generally seen, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there are some people who are just very good at kind of like, um, you know, have a very high. I don't know if there's a thing called empathy quotient, but you know, they have that, and then uh, you know, they generally tend to be like, oh, you know, like they, they tend to enjoy it, and some people try hard, they're not able to. And I think that's fine too, you know, if they're not able to. Um, so that, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess like one of my last questions here would be, um, when, you know, once you, you know, you you work with your clients and your coaches, I'm uh, sorry, uh, with your mentees, um, do you ever kind of document, you know, your learnings? Is that a process? Not, And I'm not saying your learnings, but like, your progress with the mentee, you know, um, are there certain rules that you have when you kind of work with a mentee that, hey, you know, like, for example, one rule probably could be that in every session, we're just going to tackle one constraint, not multiple constraints. I'm sure that that might be, you know, a, a common problem, you know, where people come in with like multiple constraints you know sometimes it's about really documenting your learnings to be able to see your progress. Do you ever, um, is there ever kind of like a standard playbook or it's just, uh, it's just really conversations and, you know, how those flow eventually? It comes up somewhat naturally. I mean, the things that I think about and that I try to let people know to have productive sessions is, is to come and be vulnerable and that the more you can share, the more I can help and that this is really a safe space to problem solve and for you to gain outside perspective and, and guidance. So that's kind of the main Thing that I think results in a productive session. And then more in terms of the nuts and bolts. Anytime I start working with someone, I'll send them an intake form in advance that just asks them to reflect on a bunch of the things that we've talked about today. You know, the person and their background, where they work and some of the challenges that they're facing in their career. And then really to reflect on where they'd like to go, what success looks like, what they think is standing in the way. And then I always ask them, what are the things that must be included in our sessions on our agendas. And I ask them to reflect and to list that stuff out. And then what I'm doing is before I ever kick off with them, I'm basically looking at their reflection and doing my own analysis and thinking through, hey, based on what they share, they think it's this, but I wonder if it's actually this other thing. I wonder if it's actually fear of failure that's holding them back, not lack mm -hmm. of knowledge about frameworks, or I wonder if it's poor, uh, poor cross-functional alignment or communication that's stopping them from getting hiring, not writing job descriptions and things like that. And so I'm writing out things that I want to investigate. I don't know, I can't assume in, in, until I really start working with someone, sometimes it even might take a few sessions before I, I gain confidence and clarity in my own 
you know, to validate my own hypotheses, but I'm always writing that stuff out. And I, you know, the way that I document all of my calls and things is I'm constantly referring to that and reviewing that before and during sessions so that I can dance in the moment, so to speak, if I need to, um, and to cover those things and to bring them up when the time is right. Uh, because I don't, I don't want to poke at everything, at every wound before, the, before we really are comfortable in our relationship. You know, it's, it's too soon and it might not end up being a productive conversation if the person isn't ready for that. So it's a little bit of, uh, of user-generated information and then my own analytical uh, thoughts based on what they share to figure out the right, you know, the right things to tackle. That is super interesting because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, before a uh, session, you, you really think about your perspective. Because, you know, when you come into a session, especially for a mentee, it's, it's kind of like, well, you know, this person has all the answers and he's sorted. But it's interesting. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of thought that, you know, comes beforehand. But Andrew, I read something. I read something that's like, or maybe it, I forget where I heard it, but I heard something that was like, Early in your career, you think you know all the answers, or you think the person above you has all the answers and makes all the right calls, and that's what, and that's why they got to the place that they're at. And what you learn is that nobody has the right answers. Everybody's making the best decision they can with the information available, and that actually the most senior and most impressive people readily admit how much they still don't know, and that they're just winging it and doing the best that they can. And so I actually think that that's just part of the process. Is when you're junior, you're looking for the answers, and then as you as you progress a little bit more, you're realizing that nobody has the answers. Let's find the best solution given the information that we know and the situation we've got. And if it's the wrong answer, we'll try the next most likely answer. And that it's more of a process to problem solve than it is intuitively just knowing the answer. You know, so true. Because I mean, and I think another thing that I've also realized is that even sometimes the CEOs don't know the answers themselves. You know, like a lot of times they'd come in like a perspective and like you know early on it was like oh you know the ceo must be right you know he's a very experienced or she, you know he or she's a very experienced but then you know once you kind of bring in your experience like oh you know he might he or she might be wrong you know so uh that makes that makes total sense <laughs> but yeah and, and to be honest like one of like and this is very similar to like um you know, I, uh, when, when I used to report to like a director of marketing, like there was an advice that someone gave me, like when I was leaving that, you know, fake it till you make it, you know, if you want to be ahead of marketing, just fake, you know, and then eventually you'll figure it out. And then eventually like towards the end, when you actually figure it out, you realize that 50% of all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the growth to the head of marketing was really just Googling the answers, you know, <laughs> it was really just figuring it out, just knowing how to use Google well. Kind of solves everything. It's a simplified way to put it, but yeah, it's interesting um, to hear about that. But you know, Andrew, it was such a wonderful session. I just, I absolutely loved our um, conversation today. Um, you know, I think before we leave, just a couple of questions. Uh, first, how can people get in touch with you? I know there's so many people who are looking for mentors out there. You know, a lot of people would love to work with. You know, let's say an ex-director of marketing at Vistia. But let's say they didn't even get it, you know, maybe they didn't work at Vistia. So how can they get in touch with you and, you know, perhaps even work with you? Yeah, so the probably social media is maybe the first checkpoint. Um, LinkedIn is the platform that I'm most active on, uh, relatively new to Twitter, but trying to be a little bit more active there. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, in there, you, you know, I share almost daily my thoughts about growth and challenges of working in growth and, pro, you know, and ideas and frameworks. And 
I basically share a lot of the things that I've learned on my journey and the things that I learned from chatting with my clients and helping them problem solve. So LinkedIn's a great one just to learn more about me and my background and if and when you're interested in moving forward, or even if you just want to connect and learn a little bit more, um, you can check out my website. It's also linked in my LinkedIn profile. It's deliveringvalue.co. And on there, you can you know read testimonials, hear how coaching works. Uh, if you're interested in, in business advising, I, I've got different information on there. And um, you know there's a form so you can get in touch and we can chat and learn a little bit more and see if there could be a fit.